0: Welcome back to the Maxwell High School podcast. Today I've got uh, two younger students with me, uh, young fellows from Year 9 that have come to talk to us about their experiences with uh, the pandemic, how they found that, and then they're going to tell us a little bit about some of the things that interest them. And these two Mm -hmm. fellows have got some definitely interesting hobbies and interests that I think uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing about. So I want to welcome Jonah and Connor
1: good night good
0: night (laughs) thanks fellas for coming in um firstly I, i i thought i might start with uh you jonah if you could tell us a little bit about how you found um working from home like at the end of last term everybody started to work from home and uh they were you know doing a variety of things how did you how did you find that how was that for you
2: i don't know kind of like at the start of it, when I just, like, thrown a tonne of work at you, that was a bit crazy. But, like, after the holidays and it got more organised, I kind of really enjoyed it because I only had to do a little bit of work and then just went for a surf or whatever. So,
0: so, so, so you like the freedom of being able to manage your time?
2: Yeah, it's really good. You just did the work when you needed to and then... So free to do whatever
0: so what did your day look like did you plan your day around getting the work done first thing or would you go i mean knowing a little bit about surfing you know the waves before the wind gets up and all that sort of stuff did you go surfing in the morning and then do your work how did you organize your day
2: um i kind of like looked at the tides or whatever and then um well like most time i just try get some of it done the day before even like after the sun's gone down or whatever, so you can't surf. Yep. And then just, so you had the day after to surf. Like, right. on the Wednesdays, I only had PE and a couple of other things, so I just did the work. Yep. And um, the day before, and I had one day, I surfed for seven hours <laughs> instead of doing work. That's pretty good.
0: Right, yeah, that is pretty good. Not bad for lockdown. So, Not. um, w- were you doing, like, the normal school day, right, for us is. I don't know, five or six hours, let's say. Um, there's lunchtime in there, but, you know, roughly f- about five hours. So how much time per day do you think on average you might have spent working? A similar amount or were you kind of being able to work a bit quicker?
2: Nowhere near as long working. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was doing on average maybe an hour, two, but I, two, maybe. But, like, yep. most days is maybe half an hour of work.
0: And you and you were able to get through it at, you must have been working really quick.
2: Not really. Like it wasn't because of free period days. Yeah, okay. So the teachers were only setting work for free period days. S- so you
0: you quite liked this remote learning arrangement.
2: Yeah, I loved it. It like, worked for you. Yeah, just saw my friends out in the surf and then <laughs> did a little bit of schoolwork. It was great.
0: Happy days. Really? Happy days. What about what about for your family? Like, um, you know, did you find that being underneath the same roof all the time, was that hard going or, um, you know, were you able to find a little bit of space where uh, you could do your work and, and you weren't interrupted and things like that?
2: Well, like I kind of just pulled in one of the armchairs from out the lounge and chucked yep. in my room and just went like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it in comfort. <laughs> so I just kind of sat on my computer and did it. it and yeah, it's good because yep. we've got like – they're in two different sheds, seven by seven houses. Yep. So like one's a converted shed. So Dad, Mum worked in the other house and me and Elkie were in our rooms in the other
0: one. Oh, that's really good. So you, you had a you you were really, really happy. Yeah. Okay, good.
2: Right next to the fridge the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Food
0: food has been a common element because other students I've spoken to have also um, said that what they really liked was, well, they could go to the fridge or they could cook what they wanted and they had easy access to whatever food they wanted. Yeah. So that was a plus for you as well. hmm Yeah, no, very good. What about you, Connor? How did you find the whole thing?
1: Well, there was a bit of trouble with not having a teacher around to s- get easier learning for answering questions. Yep. But the freedom of... Completing your work and then being able to go and do whatever you wished throughout the day was really good. So
0: you like the same element that Jonah liked as well, yeah. that bit of freedom. W- did you find that your days were structured or, or were you kind of, um, you know, today I'll work in the, do work in the morning and in the afternoon I'll do my own thing or and then the next day, you know, schoolwork in the afternoon and my own thing in the morning? Or did you try and keep yourself fairly structured?
1: I went for a pretty structured... Set up and just did the work as soon as I woke up, and then whatever was left of the day, I would do what I wanted to. Yeah, rightio So, yeah.
0: so when you say um, uh, when you got up in the morning, like, what's what's your what's your rising time? Like, what time do you normally get up?
1: Normally, about six. But there were some mornings where I had planned to do something for the day, so I got up at four in the morning. Some mornings completed the work and was off to do wow, other things
0: <laughs> that's um, that's commitment. I like that four in the morning, whatever you were doing must have been pretty important to get you up that early. So, did you uh, do most things online or or were you doing things on paper? Um,
1: I did get a p- paper copy for the first um bit of the lockdown, so the ending of. Last term, yeah. But for the beginning of this term, I um, did majority of it on the computer.
0: Right, yeah. And you found that that was pretty easy for you. That was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, right. So, what did you miss? What was the thing that that if you if you had to say, okay, I I missed something about the lockdown and the remote learning. What what is it that you you missed? Do you think?
1: Oh, I think I got a little bit lonely sometimes. Not yeah. having friends around all the time. Was do you are
0: you in town or out of town?
1: um 20 minutes out of maxville so
0: so so, you know yeah without your friends really nearby i can understand that that would have been a thing yeah did you make contact with your friends at all like were you on the phone or, or anything like that
1: um every now and again a text message or something but um yeah no catch up or chats over the phone
0: yeah so you were you were pretty happy pretty happy to get back to school
1: yeah, it was good to come back and see people that I hadn't seen for a while Jonah's, a sitting, there, Jonah's sitting there shaking your head
0: while you're saying that. <laughs> so he obviously wasn't quite as pleased to come back to school.
1: <laughs> well,
0: I, I'm glad that school's back to normal. I think that schools are much better places when you've got people to see and people to speak to. I, I think education, education kind of works in a remote setting if, if people are motivated like you guys seem to be. But, if um you know I think there's that real social side of things that that we really miss as people when we when we can't make that contact all you know all of the time, was there anything that you took away from the pandemic? Did you see anything on the news that you sort of went scratched your head and went, oh, what's going on with the world?
1: Well, the amount of lives lost you just can't get your head around. it's just so sad, but
0: yeah yeah it um, is it's it's incredible, isn't it, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's the thing that you that grabbed you most from from what you saw in the media.
1: Yeah, it was.
0: Yeah. Okay. It's a it's a like a um like that's quite a deep thing to take away. I'm and you're quite young, so I'm really you know almost impressed to hear that. It's quite a a turn of events. Okay, so let's leave the pandemic and the lockdown behind just for a bit and let's let's talk a little bit about you guys and what you do when you're kind of not at school. Now, um, you know, we're talking to you, uh, Connor, and, and you, you, I know that you've got a few irons in the fire, as it was, in terms of things that, that interest you and that, that you're quite handy at. And, and one of them I know is bottle collecting. Can you tell us, you, you know, for a lot of people it seems a little bit obscure, this concept of collecting, firstly, and then secondly, collecting bottles of all things. What What was it that got you into collecting bottles?
1: Well... As a young bloke, I would pick glass up around parks, wherever I went. I just, for some reason, I found an interest in the texture of the glass and it progressed from the broken bits that I would collect here, there and everywhere to whole bottles and from there it just took off. I would have my dad take me out to creeks and all sorts of things (laughs) to collect them.
0: Just a random creek? Yep. Okay, so, so... um, so, how long have you been? How long would you say you've then been collecting bottles, um, like whole bottles, not bits of glass?
1: Whole bottles probably would have to be since I was eight, so that's six years. Okay, nearly seven. S-
0: starting a serious collection when you're eight is that's heavy duty. That's, I guess, that's really getting some real focus. How many bottles have you collected in those half dozen years?
1: In The little display room I've had my dad help me set up, I have um, 1,080 (laughs) bottles (laughs) but I've still got a couple of hundred that I haven't even washed yet. Oh,
0: that's an amazing collection. That's a couple of hundred bottles a year, easily. Yeah. And and so, uh, we're not just talking about, you know, someone's thrown away a Coke bottle and... You've, here it is, you've got a Coke bottle. What, what, what kind of bottles make up a collection?
1: I like to collect ones that are old for a start yep. but not just old. Um, a bit interesting or a bit um, collectible in a way because they're either rare or they're specific to a certain area. You know, right. where they were made gives okay. them value and… right. How many were made?
0: Were bottles made in in our area? Are here there in bottles? Max- yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but are, like you know, are there bottles that are specific to our area?
1: Yeah, well, in Nambucca they had a couple of um, makers, but here in Maxville we had Cloutons, which mm-hmm. was a good cordial company, and in Kempsey we had Coleman and Company, which were also cordial, and um, a couple of medicine. Bottles that were made around the area, but
0: so these companies made their own bottles.
1: Yeah, they made their own bottles and sold their own drink right here. In, okay, in uh, Maxville and Kempsey, they. It,
0: it's interesting to look at the impact of the the COVID pandemic, and there's lots of people saying that uh, Australia has lost a lot of its ability to make things, like the manufacturing of of of, of products, is really have uh, been outsourced and, you know, most notably to places like China and, and lots of other Asian countries. Um, but when you look historically, even as, as locally as we are, you know, bottles were made for products that people sold and I think that's a fascinating thing about our region that I wouldn't have thought of because you think now what's made here and, um, you know, they still make... Um, windmills out in the industrial estate and obviously there's other businesses out there that are busy making manufacturing things express coaches and whatnot but it's those little things that you just wouldn't have thought of people still making bottles so I'm going to ask with, with every every collection like if you're collecting coins or stamps or there's the you know the magic 1 penny from 1957 or whatever or there's the the particular stamp that's worth a gazillion dollars that nobody's ever seen and we only presume that it that exists are there bottles that are like these mythical bottles that that people could try and find it to make their collections complete
1: Yes of course, there are going to be bottles that will become rare because with time they will get broken or lost or um, just become collectible because of who they're made by. And cod bottles or marble bottles, they're also known as, are quite collectible, right. especially depending on their maker and they were made here in Maxville as well. Okay. Um, bottles made of pottery... Yep. And and porcelain are very collectible if they've got a stamp for a Maker Mark. Um,
0: yeah, so, so coming back to, like, you're, you're talking about these particularly collectible bottles and I'm talking, you know, I mentioned stamps and coins. Are, are any of the bottles that you've collected or are, are bottles in general, not necessarily your collection, but are, are bottles in general valuable things to collect? So, you know, can you make money from them? Let's cut to the chase.
1: You most certainly can. Um, there's an antique shop here in Maxville and you can find bottles in there up to $60 and more. Um, I've been down to Penrith to a bottle show that they have annually and there was somebody there selling a porcelain bottle and it seems quite crazy, but it is worth $7,000. <laughs> oh,
0: crumbs, radio! So if you've got a decent collection of bottles, you could go and sell them and get a house.
1: Yes, you could.
0: <laughs> is that what your collection's like?
1: No, not at all. I've <laughs> never sold a bottle and I don't think I will. Oh, you've
0: never sold one. Oh, wow. Okay, so you you, f- you really treasure these things that you've collected. I do. Have you brought any bottles or are all the bottles that you have, are they found?
1: I have been given a lot of the ones that I've got. Mm. But, yes, I have occasionally bought one here or there, either because it was cheap or because I couldn't find it anywhere.
0: Right. What bottle do you have that means the most to you?
1: A bottle that is the oldest in my collection, means a bit to me because it was on the first official bottle hunt that I really had. It was uh, the first one that my dad had taken me out to a creek to look for them specifically. Yeah. And it was the last bottle I found on that hunt and it's a um, torpedo-shaped bottle made in the very early 1800s and I treasure it because... It's different and because yep. it was just special to find it where it was, I didn't think I would have noticed it. It was quite well tucked away in behind a root of a tree.
0: And there's often those memories that are associated with that working, yes. you know, out out in the out with dad and things like that, trying to, you know, fill out a collection. I guess that's a memory that's gonna hang with you for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I, I know also that you're um, quite handy when it comes to Um, machinery Um, can you tell us about your involvement with antique engines
1: that is very much thanks to my granddad he had a big influence on me and um, from the age of six I would go down to his shed with him and just do little bits here and there and then it progressed and I collected some of my own engines and fixed them more and more with granddad and built up a bit of a collection of them as well
0: Right. What? What? So, are we talking? Um. Just so people who don't kind of know what we're talking about, um, you're talking about these old single-cylinder type engines that that, um, you know, might have run a dairy once upon a time. Is that the sort of thing that we're talking about? Like,
1: yeah, but you can you can always find bigger engines.
0: Oh yeah, no, of course. But I we are we talking about these you know engines that require a trailer to you know. Or are we talking about engines that sort of like might have been a bit smaller in the day?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the restorations that we've just recently done was a twin cylinder Lister.
0: Right. An old it's British a, an old British engine, aren't they?
1: Yes, they are. A big diesel engine. And when we bought it it came with a pump, a pump which has a five by eight inch bore, so
0: Five by eight inches. So, like that sort of size. I'm holding up my hands here, about the size of a tissue box.
1: Yeah. That sort of massive, size. Massive, so massive pump that was used on a big banana farm um, out near Scotts. Okay. And we found some old papers to go with it. And uh, about the equivalent of its weight as a setup, mm. it's been mounted on a trailer with this pump. Yep. And it weighs about two tonnes. <laughs> so,
0: even though it's got two cylinders, it weighs about as much as a normal car. Yes. Rightio. <laughs> <radio>. So it's, <laughs> yeah, a, a, a very different kind of uh, engineering to what we do now.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. it was made out of cast iron, not aluminium. and Yep. And, you know, they used real metal, not Chinesium. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, I might have to cut that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what is it about the engines that that you enjoy? What what about them is it that that draws you to them?
1: Um I like I like the feeling of having fixed something that hasn't gone for years and I I just generally like the sound of some engines. Yeah.
0: I understand what you're saying. You you Occasionally I've been to the Rusty Iron Rally or you go to the shows or whatever and there'll be the crew of the Historic Engine Society or whatever they are in the local area. And they'll have these engines tick, 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 and the hit and miss, um, hit and miss ignition on some of the engines is fantastic. Is it going to fire? Is it going to go? Is it going to stop? You know. Yeah. I, I love that sort of anticipation. So I, I understand a little bit of what you, what you enjoy about them. That's really interesting. Hey, Connor. Thanks very much for sharing those little insights into your, um, into your life a little bit. Um. They're, bottle collecting i can't i can't believe that someone so young can be so dedicated to collecting already and um it's amazing and i've heard stories about people contacting you to help them identify bottles and things like that there's all these sort of words that get around on the street so almost uh, nationally renowned i'm going to move on to jonah jonah you talked earlier about um you do a bit of surfing and i know that you do a bit of surfing can you tell us a bit about why you enjoy your surfing and what kinds of surfing you do
2: I kind of just love the water really, so I don't do any of that or focus on any of that performance stuff. I just try to have as much fun. So, as you're I can. a waterman, just try getting the water as much as I can,
0: right? Yeah, okay. So, what, um, uh, tell us about your surfboard.
2: So, I've got a single fin, so more of a, like old school board, okay? It's a um, pin tail, so it's got like yeah, yeah, notches off the edge of it
0: comes down to yeah. a sharp a sharp point,
2: yeah, and um, it's got a bit more leadage really than normal boards, but just great you get in the waves early and then great <laughs> point board. You
0: pick yeah, pick up the waves early and, and um, yeah. get onto them before everybody else. I also yeah. know that you do some kite surfing. Yeah, um, kite surfing seems a bit a bit of an uh, adrenaline junkie type sport to me. Can you tell us about kite surfing and how did you get into that?
2: So, yeah, definitely is an adrenaline sport. Um, got into it because dad does it. Right. Like I learnt with dad from quite a young age when he picked up again, and um, kind of learnt all the setup and all the basics of it from a um quite a young age, and then got my first cut. Is just hooked on it.
0: Okay, so um. You know, I, I think like most people, you you might see something on Facebook or YouTube about someone with a kite and, and you know, the kite, they'll leap off a wave and then they'll just be sailing off into the sky and you think, are they ever coming down again? Yeah. That's is, is that what happens?
2: Um, well, that just depends on how strong the wind is because, like, you kind of control how big your kite is to right. how strong the wind is.
0: So, a uh, strong yeah. wind little kite?
2: Um, yeah. So, like… Highest I've ever gone is about six meters. Oh,
0: right, okay. So Would that just to put that into perspective, that's about the height of most houses. Yeah. Okay. So, so radio. What happens if you get the get the calculation wrong and you get strong wind, big kite? Um. Do you come down or do you just go?
2: Well, you're gonna come down, no matter what.
0: Is like, it? Is it going to end in tears?
2: Um. Depends. Like. If you know how to land properly, because you can loop the <laughs> kite in that, right? To come down slower, so okay. you can come down. So, like, there's a competition called Red Bull King of the Air, right? And they basically they jump about thirty meters oh, up in the air. Strike. Um, are you are
0: you aiming for that? Is that what you want to do? I
2: think it would be awesome, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't want to come down wrong.
2: It, like they show one of the <laughs> best guys, um, he takes a GoPro up and it just looks awesome. It's like a helicopter yeah, view yeah. when he's up there.
0: That's mad.
2: He <laughs> just jumps over over surfers and wind surfers.
0: I did, see, I did see a YouTube video once where you're talking about looping the kite to come down easily. Mm. I did see a YouTube video where the kite might have looped the rider and he got smashed.
2: Oh, so... I'd say down looped. So yeah. if you looped it at the ground, or like, so if you loop it, ab- like, what he would have been trying to do is in a big jump, yeah, you down loop it or just loop it to try cover more distance, yeah, and then you loop it back above yourself, right? Slow down again, but if you if you're too close to the water and you down loop it, it just hurls you at the water.
0: <laughs> right. So that's yeah okay, and that ends in tears.
2: Yeah, that happened to one of our friends the other day, and he thought he'd broken ribs. <laughs> <So>
0: <laughs> I can only imagine. I don't think I think we underestimate the strength of the wind sometimes, mm, especially yeah. when you're attached to a kite. Maybe I do know the other thing that you had, and I, and I know you've you've moved on from it, but you did have a hydrofoil board, is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Tell um, us,
0: tell us about that. What were your experiences with that? Was it because to mm. me it looks like it's, it's crazy hard?
2: Yeah, so it's really sharp. But yep. what the reason I sold it is, this is an older model, mm-hmm. so like the foil was really heavy. Right. It was all metal and that, and um, what was happening is the board was um it's quite skinny. Yeah. And not much volume, so like it was really hard to get into waves. Okay. And um, when you were catching just the white water, it kind of just went straight through the back of you.
0: Okay. So, so, did you have any success with it at all? Or is that something that you yeah, almost put in the too hard I basket? Was,
2: I was up and going and then starting to come out the back of the wave. But, um, like, you kind of need to ride the point, but uh, it's just too sketchy riding the point. Also, had frets from the neighbor about riding it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's just.
0: Well, because, like, you're talking about it being sharp. I mean, mm. the surfboard of death, maybe.
2: Yeah, because when you jump off it, If you jump across it, the board pushes one way, and the foil comes out the water the other,
0: and says, "Hello, look at me! I'm here to cut you." Yeah. Okay, rightio. Okay, so how long have you been surfing for, Jana?
2: Um, Dad first took me out surfing when I was eight months old. (laughs) Okay,
0: that's that's not just just getting like just for facts. That's not you surfing.
2: No, I wouldn't know when I first.
0: So you've been doing it, like, as far as you're concerned, you've been something you've been doing, like, forever? Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you think you'll ever stop? No. Nah. What if you move inland?
2: Move back outland.
0: <laughs> back to the coast. Okay, look. Hey, um, guys, it's been great having you in here. It's been really good talking to you. Um, uh, thanks very much because, you know, this can be a little bit stressful. I understand that. And it's really good that you guys can come in here and tell us a little bit, bit about your experiences. So thanks very much for coming in.
1: All good. It's quite all right.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. And um, Connor, I wish you best, all the best with your engine restorations and your bottle collecting. Thank you. And uh, Jonah, try not to get whiplash from your kite. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much, guys. Uh, thanks very much to all our listeners. Uh, We'll be back again next week with uh, another podcast for the Maxwell High School podcast. We thank you very much for joining us.